Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, For more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Happy Monday. Today is July 18th, 2016. I'm Michelle Pache, filling in for Jeannie, and I'm here today with Dr. Michael Rice. We warmly welcome you to the show and thank you for choosing to be with us. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1 and that puts you into queue to talk with our host. We encourage you to call in with your comments or questions, allowing you to actively strengthen and deepen your practice. Now let's welcome Michael in support of developing our inner process of Aramaic forgiveness. Well, thank you, Michelle, for being available today. It's just really awesome to be driving down the road and find ourselves in a place where it's not easy to get stopped to uh, to get a uh, a signal to do the control panel and send you a text, and you go, sure, I can do it. Much appreciation. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. And welcome, everyone, to our conversation about first century Aramaic forgiveness and all the corollary tools that come out of that first century Aramaic language, uh, the comprehension of how the world works is so so incredibly deep and so incredibly powerful that it is mind-boggling when you look at the first century Aramaic teachings. And then you look at a text called A Course in Miracles, and today is Monday, so it's Miracle Mondays. Course in Miracles, a text um, brought forward in a more modern language, more modern setting, with some corrections to the uh, Greek misperceptions of forgiveness, uh, is A Course in Miracles. So we're going to uh, look at, actually, if you want to look up in your text uh, or your workbook, Lesson 121, we're going to talk about that. But first of all, I want to point out, and this will kind of tie in with Wednesday's show, It'll sort of lay a foundation for uh, Recovery Wednesdays where we're looking at addiction and uh, recovering the the state of human being, this human life, and recognize that the most common addiction on planet Earth, bar none, and and what, what brought this idea forward to come up to speak about today in particular was the um, the situation that's going on in the world with these shootings of policemen, these shootings of black men, and just the insanity of what's going on. And, of course, as with any other conflict, what you'll notice, and you might look into your own life to see if you hold this addiction too, 
is the way that people in these circumstances avoid looking at their deepest levels of stress is they talk about everybody else. So in order to manage stress, when you focus on and live in denial, and and, in our work here, the definition we use of denial is a little different than the world. It doesn't mean that you pretend something that happened didn't happen. That is certainly one valid definition of denial. But the definition we're working with is the kind of denial that leads us to dissociating from the parts of our minds with which we create our experiences. And what that looks like is when inside of me there's some sort of pain or turmoil going on and I have stress moving in me and I don't want to deal with or feel the full effects of my stress, if I live in blockage of truth, If I enter into a conversation about somebody else, then I will find that my stress is reduced. And the reason my stress is reduced is because I block the truth of my involvement in what's going on. You know, if you've been watching and we've been traveling the last couple of days, have access to television, something we don't usually have. And you listen to all the conversations and you listen to people in Black Lives Matter, you know, folks who are looking at things from that side of the fence, and you hear them talking about the police and what's wrong. And certainly the injustices are enormous. However, until one starts to look inside themselves and deal with themselves, there will always be an external enemy. Because when I live in denial, and again, you can look at folks who are speaking from the police point of view and from the government's point of view, and you'll notice that they're talking about these terrible things that these people are doing. So here we have two groups of people, each pointing a finger at the other, saying, if only you'd be different, we wouldn't have to deal with this. And recognizing that there are and have been atrocities on both sides, if each one could shift out of that form of stress management, that is, walk at the truth and look at the truth, they would begin to see the part of themselves involved in what's happening. And, of course, by extension, if you take this idea to your own life, you'll see that. And, and just notice the last time you had conflict with somebody, maybe it was your child, maybe it was your spouse, maybe it was your neighbor. Notice what, if you were under stress, that is with some sort of turmoil going, notice exactly what you did was you began to speak about your partner, your child, your parent, your neighbor, whoever it was. Instead of stopping and taking a breath and going, hmm, I have stress in me. I have pain in me. Maybe I'm involved in my life. Maybe it isn't all about them. And when I start to see that I'm involved in my life, then I can begin to change the behavior that puts me into that posture. Then I can change the part of me that plays into it. My criticism of the other may be absolutely valid, But that's irrelevant because the minute that I begin to speak as though something outside of me is the cause of something inside of me and I focus on what the other is doing rather than recognize I'm in some sort of pain or turmoil and I need to change something inside of me. The moment I move into that conversation about the other, what happens is I dissociate from the part of me that's creating my pain. 
And now my pain or the traumatic circumstances I keep drawing myself into are hidden from me. And whatever is hidden from me is not any longer changeable. You might remember 2,000 years ago, Yeshua says, take care of the heart, for out of it are the issues in life. And if you look at the first century Aramaic meaning of the word heart, it means the unconscious. Now, we labored for almost 2,000 years without understanding that in the West. But we now know he was saying, take care what's inside of yourself that you dissociated from because you are a creator. And as a creator, you are drawing the results to you. You are drawing to you, you through resonance. You are bringing people toward you that will play out whatever it is that you hold in your creative process. If your creative process is unconscious, then what you'll find is that something will keep showing up in your life no matter, you know, you've, you've been in a workshop, you've heard me say how many have ever taken the geographic cure where you fly to the other side of the country where people will be different and the person that picks you up at the airport finishes the sentence that the person that dropped you off started. How do they know what to say to you? They know what to say to you because whenever there is an energy moving, now I'm talking about physics here, I'm talking literal energy movement. Whenever there is an energy moving in you, there is literally a high energy wave that radiates out from you that seeks a target that has a similar frequency pattern. That is, it radiates out in 365 degrees, and the only place it can land, everything, literally Everything is transparent to it except for another set of brain cells that has a similar pattern. So the person who has the matching pattern is going to fall into resonance with you, or it's been called sympathetic resonance. Now, in the physical world where we can observe the law of resonance in operation, it's easy to see that if I hit a middle C tuning fork on a desk, and I put it near a second middle C tuning fork, the second middle C tuning fork goes into motion. If I hit the middle C tuning fork in the desk and I put it near a middle A tuning fork, the middle A tuning fork does nothing. There is no response. Why? Because the atomic magnetic structure of the two forks that are middle C are in resonance with each other or are the same atomic magnetic structure, there's an exchange of information between them. But that's not true with the middle A tuning fork. So when an energy moves in me, I'm like a tuning fork. And if that energy that radiates out from that movement in me touches a similar frequency in another, it is received through resonance and increases the motion in that second person of that same energy. So just like the middle C tuning fork hit on the desk increases motion in the second tuning fork, look, the second tuning fork wasn't moving at all, and now all of a sudden it's moving. Now, the extra thing that's added beyond the, uh, in the human realm is that with the tuning forks, of course, if you hit one on the, uh, on the desk and put it in front of a second one and they're two inches apart, they'll stay two inches apart until both tuning forks stop moving. They're not going to be pulled in toward each other. But in the human realm where there is that resonance, it pro- resonance not only produces motion, but it produces motion toward. So guess who's coming to dinner? Somebody's going to show up to play it out with me. Now, if I talk about them and they talk about me, 
we each end up living in denial, and living in denial, we hide on deeper and deeper levels the parts of our minds that we don't want to look at and don't want to deal with. And because we cannot enter into that mind due to our denial and dissociation, there can be no forgiveness in that mind. There can be no pattern changed. And so wherever I go, however many people I beat up and try to get them to change, somebody's going to play off of me again and again and again until I go within myself. And this is the genius of the first century Aramaic forgiveness process. Forgiveness has nothing to do with letting somebody else off the hook for what's happening inside of you. Forgiveness is a tool with which I collapse what's moving in me at this moment and I drop into what's beneath it and become conscious of what's below the surface. So normally I'm only aware of what's going on in my surface mind. If I actually engage the process of first century Aramaic forgiveness, nothing to do with letting somebody else off the hook because of what's moving in me, what will happen is I will collapse that surface mind pictures and be able to drop into and see what's underneath it, what's been hidden from me. So you'll remember in the ancient scriptures they said, nothing will remain hidden, everything will be made known in the light of day. This was physics, this wasn't theology, this wasn't some sort of a haphazard guess when it was said, take care of the heart, brought of it are the issues of life. Nothing will remain hidden. Everything will be made known in the light of day. This was physics. We understood how this worked. And so when I engage in forgiveness, I'm able to drop into the hidden part of my mind. Now, psychology has pretty much established that 90 to 95% of our mental processes are unconscious. So that's the workhorse. That's what led Yeshua to say, take care of the heart or the unconscious. That's the workhorse. That's where the power is. That's where the prime energy moves. And until I can drop into it and become conscious of what is unconscious and change what doesn't belong, then I'm going to keep creating the same circumstances over and over and over again. Probably the greatest atrocity done to us as human beings down through the ages is that we've had hidden from us the fact that we are by nature creators. You and I are creators. Now, that's an idea that everybody loves when the creation's going well, and nobody wants to hear when the creation's not going so well because they've been trained and taught by the culture to think and speak about everybody else. So there's a particular passage in the uh, Course in Miracles, which is the one I'd like to work with today. Again, it's Lesson 21, 121, if you want to turn to it in the text. And it tells you, you know, you, you can look at yourself because once one goes into denial, the dynamic's invisible. Now, they said to Yeshua 2,000 years ago, and again, the genius that knew how to do this, they said, well, how do I tell what's really going on in my unconscious? He says, look at your fruit. Look at the results you're producing. So Lesson 121 is designed to give us a bird's eye view, in the Course in Miracles, of what a mind without forgiveness looks like, how it functions. If you find yourself described here or identifying with any of this, then you can stop wondering, thinking, hoping, wishing, yes, it's somebody else's fault, do I have something to deal with here? If you recognize yourself in these words, then notice that you've got an unforgiving mind. 
Now, you can say, but I forgive Charlie and Bill and Harry and Mary. I've forgiven everybody. When you say that, what I know is that you've done zero forgiveness today. Because forgiveness has nothing whatsoever to do with the, the Greek culture's idea of letting somebody else off the hook for what's moving in you. With first century Aramaic forgiveness, what you do is you drop into the hidden part of the mind, you expose that part of the mind to love, thereby dissolving its energetic patterns, and therefore becoming free of it. Now, if you haven't engaged in the forgiveness process yet, we so deeply want to support you in seeing it and making use of it. And so we invite you to go to our website, www.whyagain.org. And the first words at the top of the page say, start here. Just click that button. And when you click start here, it will take you into a whole series of links that will unfold and explain the forgiveness process to you, including give you access to at least 16 radio shows where we've spent an hour pretty much on each show walking somebody through the whole wake-up worksheet process. So we've developed a worksheet we call the wake-up sheet, and step-by-step, here's how you collapse the output of your mind that keeps you occupied on the surface with the beliefs that have been brainwashed into you that it's all somebody else's fault, and you take a breath, and for once you stop, you take a breath and say, oh, yes, this is inside of me. Why am I shouting at them? Why am I trying to quiet them when I have pain or turmoil? Maybe what I need to do instead of focus on them is drop into a part of my own mind and bring correction there. So what's the fruit? What does it look like? And this is kind of a, a humorous chapter in a sense. It gives some interesting dynamics. So... Lesson 121, the title of it is Forgiveness is the Key to Happiness. Here's the answer to your search for peace. Here's the key to meaning in a world that seems to make no sense. Of course, you look at all the insanity going on today, and it's pretty senseless. Here's a way to safety and apparent dangers that appear to threaten you at every turn and bring uncertainty to all your hopes of ever finding quietness and peace. Here are all questions answered. Here's the end of all uncertainty, insured at last. So what the Course is saying is that if you collapse through forgiveness what's happening in your surface mind, you will clean out every untoward energy that never belongs there, and you will be at peace. The peace will come from your, not from your intellect or gee, I've got something figured out, so now I'm peaceful, but rather will come from your connection to the active presence of love in you. And that peace is the peace that is called passes all understanding. There's no intellectual reason for that peace. It comes, you know, if you, if you recognize what a human life is, and our, our question for defining a human life is called a newborn child, Everyone who describes the essence of the newborn describes love. And your peace, your joy, your aliveness will come from your awareness of that state of being in you, not from resolving your problems or getting somebody else to change. So no matter what's going on in your life, nothing needs to change for you to be in that place of higher peace. 
And those things will generally tend to change when you achieve that state of peace, and it's achieved through forgiveness. So if you're not in forgiveness, how do you tell? What's the fruit of that? This is an interesting chapter. The unforgiving mind is full of fear. Now, you take a look at every direction. What's one of the main words we're talking about in, or what are the words that the culture is focusing on and speaking about? What's happening? Big question on all the news stations last night when they're interviewing police. Are the police now afraid to go out on calls? Is there fear about every call? Is it going to be a phony call and they're going to get set up for an ambush? And for the people who have been attacked unjustly by the police, uh, what, what's the fear? Gee, our young men fear even getting behind the wheels of their cars. And so the whole game is fear. Now, what fear does is it creates results. When you're a creator and you're in fear, what will happen is you'll produce results in your life. And that's a powerful thing to recognize. You can go all the way back to the book of Job, and Job goes through some pretty horrendous stuff, about the worst you could imagine. You read that book, and then because he perseveres and stays clear of hostility and fear, he comes to a conclusion, and he says, ah, that which I feared most has come upon me. So when someone walks out the door in fear, literally that energy moving them in them is a creative call. It sets up a high-energy wave that I like to call the creative wave, and that creative wave will draw that which is feared, will resonate that which is feared into one space. And so, you know, and, and, and people say, well, just don't have fear anymore. Well, that's not possible. But what you can do is you can take that wake-up sheet and you can forgive your fear. As you forgive us to your fear and remove it, you'll walk into circumstances where yesterday there may have been fear and called forward an experience, and instead the experience will just collapse because there's no fear to reinforce it. So life becomes a whole different game at that state. So the unforgiving mind is full of fear and offers love no room to be itself. No place where it can spread its wings in peace and soar above the turmoil of the world. The unforgiving mind is sad. Now, you listen to the average person, and when they're sad, what will they do? Well, they'll talk about how they're sad because this happened. They're sad because they lost that. They're sad because someone died. They're sad because they lost their money. They're sad because they had to move. They're sad because they lost their spouse. They're sad because, because, because. A couple of weeks ago, about perhaps one of the most destructively used words on the planet is because. When I say I'm, I am this way because, I'm telling my mind that the reason I'm in this state is something outside of me. And when I tell the world and I tell myself that I'm in this state because of something outside of me, that any time that something, whatever it is, happens, I will be sad. But the truth is, I'm sad because I'm not connected to love and there's sadness in me. 
And when I engage in that wake-up sheet, in that forgiveness process, what happens is, and I may have to do this many times if I'm sad, I may have to collapse into that sadness, bringing love with me many times to dissolve my sadness. Because for anger, for fear, for rage, for guilt, for sadness, whatever it is, there's no because except that there's something inside of us that's creating that result. And when I step out of the game of denial and dissociation, I get to recapture that part of my mind in the presence of love. And when that part of my mind comes forward in the presence of love, that's when and how forgiveness occurs. Remember, the word forgive means removal. That's how I begin to remove my sadness. So I can stand in the space where whatever it is that I thought I was sad about losing, when I resolve and forgive and heal my sadness, I can stand in that same space with that thing still gone, and yet I will not be in the experience of sadness. I will stay connected to the active presence of love. Now, for someone who's lived their whole lives over sadness, in sadness, over this, that, or the other, that seems like a ridiculous thing to say. Well, Michael, that's just crazy. Well, call it crazy. Don't believe me. Take the tool of forgiveness, begin to apply it. And all of a sudden, what you'll find is where there was sadness yesterday, because I have forgiven my sadness, I've removed my sadness, there is no sadness. There is no room for sadness. It simply disappears. And so the unforgiving mind is sad, without hope of respite, and released from pain. It suffers and abides in misery, peering about in darkness, seeing not, yet certain there is danger lurking there. The unforgiving mind is torn with doubt, confused about itself, and all it sees, afraid and angry, weak and blustering, afraid to go ahead, afraid to stay. Afraid to awaken, afraid to go to sleep. Afraid of every sound, yet more afraid of stillness. Terrified of darkness, yet more terrified of the approach of light. What can the unforgiving mind perceive but its own damnation? When we engage in all of these energies, doubt, confusion. So if you find yourself in those states, stop telling yourself the story. Stop living in denial and telling yourself the story that, you're, you're in doubt because, you know, your spouse doesn't believe in you. You're in doubt because your spouse said you're not good enough and you can't do it. You're not in doubt because of that. You're in doubt because then doubt resides in you. When you remove your doubt, your spouse can say what they choose. It won't matter because you'll be connected to the truth of being and therefore the root of confidence. So if you find yourself in that state of such fear, Doubt, angry, weak, blustering, you know, that lashing out at somebody in blustering rage. If, you're feel, if you ever feel like, gee, I'm powerless, everybody else has got the power, and, you know, all hostility, all attack is based in an attempt to regain power that one has hidden from themselves, not that one has had taken away from them. You have as much power as any human being that has ever lived, you have had all that power all of your life, but when you go into denial, 
what happens is whoever it is that you're blaming for the conditions inside of you, you turn your power over to your brain's image of them. So when you say, well, Johnny just doesn't support me being strong. Johnny, you know, just really makes me feel weak. Then your power and your strength literally energetically becomes tied up in your brain's image of Johnny. And then Johnny shows up in your mind with your power attached, and you think he's the one with the power and you don't have any. But it's a whole false picture. The beauty of forgiveness that it, is that it will collapse your brain's image of Johnny and allow you to drop into the place where you've hooked your power into your brain's image of them and him and dissolve the bonds that keep you stuck in believing the power is outside of you now to reclaim your power as you do that. So if you find this describes you at all, then notice the solution is in forgiveness. And forgiveness is a challenging process to enter into if you've lived in a world of denial all your life. To be in a state of disturbance or upset and talk about yourself. Gee, you know, I'm really angry. I'm really sad. I'm really afraid. I'm really upset. That's all an inside job. And once you begin to realize that it's an inside job, then you dissolve what never belonged. And, you know, sometimes those things that never belong come from generations and generations and generations of just crazy dynamics. And it's time for us to be restored to the truth of who we are. So this lesson goes on and says, what can the unforgiving mind perceive but its damnation? What can it behold except proof that all its sins are real? And let's remember that the word sin in Aramaic and in the context of the Course in Miracles, is an archery term. When you fire, it's, it's got nothing to do with the Greek idea of sin. The thing we've been told is our identity. We should proclaim that's who we are. That's such a fraud. You are not. Have you engaged in energies that are off the mark? You know, the, the term comes from the archery range. When you fired at the bullseye and you missed the bullseye, the scorekeeper would yell sin. That's all the word means. Have we all been off the mark? Yes. Does that make us one of those? No. But if you buy that as your identity, you know, there are places where you're forced to take that on as your identity in order to be part of the, that, that particular club, then you simply reinforce a lie about yourself and block yourself in awareness of the truth. You started out, you are the offspring of love. You will always be the offspring of love. The love that you are has never been touched by anything that's happened to you or anything that you've done. It remains in pristine condition. Well, why is that? Because what happens on the level of the, the world mind has no ability to reach into the energy of being. Different frequency realms altogether. It can't touch it. So when you start removing the lies about yourself, the hostilities and fears, then the truth of who you are simply begins. It's, it's like, you know, it's a dark, cloudy, the clouds, oh, man, they're so dark and almost no light. It's like nighttime in the middle of the day. And you say, but, well, the sun, I guess the sun must have died, eh? There's just 
I mean, there's no light left. It's, 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 the sun must be dead. No, the sun was never touched by all those clouds in exactly the same way. It doesn't matter what clouds are in your mind. It doesn't matter what terrible, terrible things have been done to you, what terrible, terrible things you have done. It's like the clouds. Once you start burning them off, the light is there. That's all. The truth of who you are begins to flow back into this form where it is designed to live. So the unforgiving mind sees no mistakes, but only sins. In other words, it uses that Greek definition of, yes, you see, you're one of those, and locks it in place. It looks upon the world with sightless eyes. So the unforgiving mind looks upon the world with sightless eyes. In other words, the only thing it can see is the pictures that it's painted on the inside of its own eyeballs, and it thinks it's looking out into the world which it cannot do. So as it looks with these sightless, sightless eyes and shrieks as it beholds its own projections rising to attack its miserable parody of life. It wants to live, yet wishes it were dead. It wants forgiveness, yet it sees no hope. It wants escape, yet it can conceive of none, because all it sees is the sinful everywhere. And until you recognize that, then you get stuck in that where all you see are projections of the content of your own brain cell structure. So sightless eyes. Something moves in me. I have each human mind has a digital to analog converter. Each human mind shifts energy moving to pictures. So sightless eyes, when I say you made me mad, I use the energy of anger that you've resonated in me, and I paint a picture on the inside of my eyeballs, and I render my eyes sightless because the picture I see is simply a projection from my own brain cell structure, a projection from what's moving in me. When I engage in forgiveness, I literally remove those energies And as I remove those energies, I'm freed of that particular projection. The one who lives with sightless eyes wants forgiveness, but sees no hope. It wants escape, yet can conceive of none, because everywhere it looks, it sees the sinful. It sees its own projections. It it paints on the inside of the eyeballs a world made of what's moving in itself, and it thinks it's actually looking out on the world that's out there. Now, You can get an experience of that when you think back to the last time somebody accused you of saying something that you absolutely never said and doing something that you absolutely never did. Ever had that happen? The person who was accusing you was looking at you with sightless eyes. Yes, you did something that triggered in them something painful. Their thinking and their speaking was about how you caused their pain, And so they created a picture of you doing exactly what was moving energetically in them and then told you how you did that to them. Sightless eyes. The unforgiving mind is in despair without the prospect of a future which can offer anything but more despair. Yet it regards its judgment of the world as irreversible. So one of the things you've got to start to do is to suspect that your mind, when it's in pain, is lying to you. If you can't suspect that, 
you will find, I mean, just turn on the TV, you will find a million people that will agree with what the Course calls in this lesson, your miserable parody of life. If you're in misery, you can get the girls together in the coffee clutch, you can get the guys together for a beer, and you'll talk about how, yep, that's the problem, that's them out there, and that kind of conversation leads to a form of hopelessness. Because it can't see anything in its future except more despair. Because that's the content it refuses to face in itself and remove. And it believes that its judgment of the world cannot be changed. And, this lesson goes on to say, it does not see that it has condemned itself to this despair. cannot change for what it sees bears witness that its judgment is correct. It does not ask because it thinks it knows. It does not question. Certain it is right. And, you know, the resistance to shifting that is amazing. If you look at just the question that maybe your despair is a lie of your mind is something that will open a huge space in your life if you can do it. And when you do, what happens is you'll start to become freed of your despair. And freedom from despair looks like human life. A lot, again, all the newborn child, the awesome active presence of love instead of a world based in hostility and fear. So as you recognize and take ownership of what's going on in you, if you think you know the problems out there and you're feeling it, you are lying to yourself. If you think there's no need to question where the problem is because you already know it's all their fault, you're lying to yourself. You've got to give up that lie in order to return to the truth of who you are. So the course at this stage goes back now to the discussion on forgiveness. And it gives us some pretty deep insight. Forgiveness is acquired. Is not, it is not inherent in the mind. When you realize that it has been probably close to 2,000 years since actual forgiveness appeared on planet Earth, and then was almost instantly disappeared, the opposite, the condemning, the speaking of others, the instant response of hostility toward another to shut them up so that you don't have to look at what's going on inside of you is the natural state of the human mind. So forgiveness, according to this lesson in the Course, says it's acquired. It is not inherent in the mind, which cannot sin. As sin is an idea, you taught yourself. So the idea of being off the mark is not something you can originate in your mind. It's engaging in an energy that never belonged in you. So forgiveness must, the the Course here informs us that forgiveness must be learned by you as well, but from a teacher other than yourself. So unless you've got huge, huge, huge quantities of willingness, and are willing to do a tremendous amount of work, the story your mind runs for you will keep you stuck there. And unless you have a hand of someone who's conscious, you will probably never escape. And you'll notice, no matter how much work you do, if you don't actually stick with 
stop, speak about myself when I'm in pain, talk about somebody else instead, if you don't reverse that, then you get stuck in the cycle and you can't get out of the cycle on your own. It's like being locked in prison. The mind holds the prisoner. You know, it's, it's interesting. They've done a lot of research and perception, and they say that once a perception is formed, it takes a, a much, much greater quantity of energy to shift errant perception to truth than to form truthful perception in the beginning. And we have been so steeped in errant perception, I mean, beyond comprehension. We've been so steeped in believing it's all about somebody else that it takes such a huge amount of energy to shift to true perception that rare is the mind that could possibly do it on its own. It might happen, but it's pretty rare. And you can tell if you're there, if you're doing that by when there's upset, when there's disturbance, what you do is you instantly go into a conversation about somebody else and tell them what's wrong with them. So when I come back to a conversation about myself, if I'm in disturbance or pain, And so each of us needs a teacher. Each of us needs someone who will get us out of the perceptual loop of insanity. So it says, you'll learn it from a teacher other than yourself who represents the other self in you. So the true being of you, again, just like the sun behind the clouds, is always there. Hostility and fear create clouds of perception that block the awareness of what's always there. And so you will tap into a teacher who represents that true self in you, who then can be the helping hand if if you'll stand in willingness. Now, unwillingness, and most of the world is trapped in Satan. In the Aramaic language, the word Satan means the resistor, one who misleads. Unwillingness is Satan. So until I am willing to receive support and own what's going on in my perceptual system, I'll keep in the conversation and every time I'll lash out at somebody else and tell them to shut up. No, I don't want to hear about this. No, it's your problem. You're the one. It's like, well, just stop and take a breath. Stop and take a breath and step into willingness because forgiveness is not inherent in your mind. You will learn it from someone other than yourself very unlikely that anyone is going to learn that on their own. So through this person who will support you, you will learn how to forgive the self you think you made and let it disappear. Thus, you return your mind to one to him who is yourself and who can never sin. So there is a true state of being in you the who you are that cannot be off the mark. It can be covered over. It can be hidden. As you begin to remove the clouds that block that self, then you return to the truth of who you are. And then as you actually step into the willingness to learn forgiveness, and when you're in upset and disturbance, step inside of yourself and look at yourself rather than thinking, speaking, and focusing on someone else, then what happens is you walk into a world of other unforgiving minds. And so this lesson describes that process. Each unforgiving mind presents you with an opportunity to teach your own how to forgive itself. 
and is how to remove content from itself. Each one awaits release from hell through you and turns to you imploringly for heaven here and now. This unforgiving mind that you're facing has no hope, but you become its hope. And as its hope, you become your own. The unforgiving mind must learn through your forgiveness that it has been saved from hell. In other words, when you can stand with an unforgiving mind and stay connected to love and hold the light there, then the unforgiving mind will see the possibility that something different could go on, something different could occur. And seeing it, one is then able to carry forward and engage in that process. So the unforgiving mind must learn through your forgiveness that it has been saved from hell. As you teach that removal, or what the world calls salvation, you will learn it. Yet all your teaching, all your learning will not be of you, but of the teacher who was given you to show the way to you. And so this lesson moves into then a practice. Today, we practice learning to forgive. If you are willing, you can learn today to take the key to happiness and use it on your own behalf. We will devote 10 minutes in the morning and at night another 10 to learning to give forgiveness and receive forgiveness as well. So there's a practice here, a methodology for opening the space. The unforgiving mind does not believe that giving and receiving are the same. Yet we will try to learn today that they are one through practicing forgiveness toward one whom you think of as the enemy and one whom you consider as a friend. And as you learn to see them both as one, we will extend the lesson to yourself and see that their escape included yours. For the longer practice periods, Think of someone you don't like. So just pick someone out that you have some irritation toward. Someone who seems to irritate you or to cause you regret if you should meet them. One you perhaps actively despise or merely try to overlook. It doesn't matter what the form your anger takes. You probably chose him already. He will do. Now close your eyes and see him in, or her in your mind and look at them a while. Try to perceive some light in him or her somewhere. A little gleam which you perhaps had never noticed. Try to find some little spark of brightness shining through the ugly picture that you hold of him. Now, you might notice that As you do this, there's a goal in your mind that you hold for this person. You wish they would do this or that or the next thing. This practice will enhance tremendously if you use the core of the forgiveness process by canceling that goal. 
So as you begin to look at that person that you have some irritation or upset toward, simply allow yourself to breathe, identify what it is that you wanted from them, and cancel that goal. Just, you know, gee, I wanted them to speak to me respectfully. So cancel the goal for them to speak to you respectfully. Then take a breath. And now go back and search for that spot of light in there. Look for a little spark of brightness shining through the ugly picture that you hold of that person. Look at this picture until you see a light somewhere within it, and then extend that light until it covers him or her and makes the picture beautiful and good. So perhaps your goal will come up again, which will tend to trigger more of the hostility or fear, and just gently let go, just cancel the goal. I cancel my need for this person to speak to me lovingly. And then just be on the lookout in your mind's eye for some light in them and let that light expand. And look at this change perception for a while. Look at the shift in your picture of this person. And then turn your mind to one who you call a friend. Transfer the light you learned to see around your former enemy to this friend. Perceive him now as more than friend to you. For in that light, his holiness shows you your Savior, the one who will save you from your own insanity and leave you healed and whole. Then let him offer you the light to see in him. And let your enemy and your friend unite in blessing you with what you gave. Now are you one with them and they with you? Now have you been forgiven by yourself? That is, you have removed that darkness that you put into that picture. Remember throughout the day the role forgiveness plays in bringing happiness to every unforgiving mind with yours among them. Every hour, tell yourself, forgiveness is the key to happiness. I will awaken from this dream that I am mortal, fallible, and full of error, and know that I am a perfect son or daughter of love. So let yourself just breathe into that for a moment. Whatever the disturbance, whatever the upset. I am a perfect son or daughter of the divine and the presence of love. And we'll just sit with that for a moment and breathe. And then we'll come back. We've got a few minutes. We'll just see if there are any questions, thoughts. Breathing deeply. Forgiveness is the key to happiness. I will awaken from the dream that I am mortal, fallible, and full of error, and know that I am a perfect son or daughter of love. And so that's our lesson 121 on the unforgiving mind. I think it's rather interesting the way it's written. And Michelle, I know Dr. Tim is with us. He's on vacation this week, so 
Any thoughts for you? Anything to share? Anybody with a hand up in the phone queue or anything happening in the chat room to be aware of? Uh, chat room is quiet today, Michael. Um, I pulled up the lesson while you were um, reading it, and, you know, I noticed at one point they um, capitalized teacher with a T. And so at first yes. I was thinking they had, um, you know, referred to something human or at our level, but I guess you can confirm that that means, like, teacher, I, I think of Ruka Dakucha. Yeah, so if you look at Yeshua, you know, he says, I, you can deny me. I come to connect you to the spirit of truth. This is within each of us. You know, the external world has you looking for an external savior because the external world wants to pick your pocket on the way there. <laughs> That's basically the bottom line of that whole game. But if you lessen the yeshua, he said, no, I come to connect you within. And that teacher, Rukit Kutcha, is within each of us and is available. That's, you know, the whole body of this work is about teaching people to go back and reconnect with that and be in full energetic relationship with that source. That's the whole idea of laws of living is that we are in literally full energetic conscious relationship with the energy around us that is the power in which we live, move, and have our being. And it kind of takes away the religious connotation and takes us back to the simple fact that here we are moving in space, at, you know, they estimate about 7,000 miles an hour in an energy field called love. And if we can let ourselves get back to that, induced in every cell is this sweet presence of love. And that's our connection. And that's what will teach us, the real teacher. Okay, because, um, you, you know, my little ego, well, my big ego, I was um, skimming to see kind of where I, you were and find my place. And the the line I read, it says, the teacher who was giving you to show you the way. And I'm working with a new client, and, you know, she's learning. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm the teacher. I'm here to show you the way. And then I'm like, oh, wait, there's a capital T. Oops. Yeah, capital T. So, and, and. Each of us, when we choose to learn forgiveness, can become the support person for opening that same space for each other mind. So, yes, you are the teacher in that sense that leads one to the capital T teacher, and each of us can be that when we do our own work. Yeah, I get it. So, actually, we did have a person who had the hand up, and so I'll turn the microphone. We've got five minutes. Um Area code 905, you're on the air. 905, we got about five minutes. Give us a name. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Ontario. Oh, this sounds like Michelle. Hey, young lady. Hello. Hello, welcome. How are you? Did you recognize that story of the unforgiving mind? I did. You used to have one of those, didn't you? How did you know? You're the master. Well, we've had a few con- we've had a few conversations, haven't we? <laughs> yes, we have. And so I you have got inside my head there. So, um, so what would you like I to want- share with us? You have a question for us? Yes, I'd like to share, and I do have one question. Um, okay, we've got about one- four minutes, so rock on. Okay. While you were talking, 
the one way I was tapping into my energy again, the back of my head, I had this fictitious line, top and bottom, and in that, it's a huge space where I'm holding love, my being, and just below it, there's a little square, which I'm saying is my unconscious, and I've got all these little bubbles in there where all my different themes are that I need to deal with. And when you were talking, I go to that big area. That's my active presence of love. And I go to different places or thoughts or pictures during my life where I felt love, joy, safe. And so I know I can go into that physical space and pull on that energy. And that... Now, one thing that did come up, I was talking with Julie yesterday, and I had a theme come up, a couple of them actually. Um, At first, the first theme that came up was undermining Michelle. And then I had a list of people. And then number two, my theme was overly push myself to prove myself and number right. three perfectionism so those were three big things that we came up with that I need to work on now I have placed those into my unconscious like I said that little square at the bottom where I right. put those three things that I need to work on. Now, I understand, I I believe, if I'm correct, say under the theme of undermining Michelle and I've got a list of people, I, work, I was thinking I work on the people or do I work on the undermining as a worksheet? Which is the better way of going well, about it? The individual well, or the because I was thinking undermining. Well, undermining, I, I would offer that you want to do all of the above. Each, you know, when you realize, in order for us to produce this whole perceptual world that we see, there have got to be a billion files firing. And each one that you can clean out of hostility or fear-based content, energies that are off the mark, the whole system is going to work better. We're going to have better physical, mental, emotional, spiritual health, and our perceptual system is going to work better. So I look at all the situations, and I'd make a list of everybody that I ever had the thought was undermining me, and then look at the goal that I had for them. Maybe one person I just wanted for them to approve of me. Another person I might wanted for them to have uh, spoken up for me. Another person I might wanted to have had an expression of love for them. Each one would be a different goal, and so I do a worksheet on each of those and cancel the goal, each of those goals. So that would be a whole list of worksheets. And we're okay. down to about 10 That's seconds, great. so we need to pick this up tomorrow if you can call in. We'll look forward to it. In the meantime, I have to say goodbye because our show's going to cut us off. Have the best year oh, yet of your eternal one, one life. Quick it's question. an awesome gift to give the world. One quick question. 